What's up, everybody, and welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Today, our guest is Garai Dadali, who is a pro skier, an engineer, a ski designer for J-Skis and Forefront Skis, a very sharp guy, and he's the founder of Daymaker Touring, which has been making alpine binding adapters since 2016. And today we are talking with Garai about the latest Daymaker product called the Tech Adapters. And as the Daymaker website says, very accurately I might add, the TechDapters system enables you to utilize Pintech ski touring efficiency on the uphill with the safety and performance of DIN certified alpine bindings on the way down. All of that at an unheard of value of $280. Sound intriguing? Well, we received one of the first pairs of TechDapters at Blister headquarters last week. And our initial thoughts and impressions are that it appears to be very well built, and it's a very intriguing tool. So we thought this new product very much warranted a Gear 30 conversation with Garai to really dive into this new tool for touring. And as you'll hear us say, this is not going to be a product for everybody, but as you'll hear it laid out in this conversation, it is a product that is going to make a lot of sense for a lot of people. And frankly, any self-respecting gear dork out there ought to know about the tech adapters, how they work, and why they matter. Tech adapters are currently in stock as I am recording this on Thursday, October 26th, and they are shipping now. So we are going to include a link to the Daymaker Touring website in the show notes of this episode so you can check them out and place your order if they look to be a good fit. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by Zimmerman's Skis, Boards, and More, which is our blister-recommended shop in Nashua, New Hampshire. Zimmerman's is offering the best selection on seasonal leases for the entire family, including skis and boards, for both kids and adults. And to make it even easier to get the whole family out on the hill this season, kids 13 and under who lease from Zimmerman's are eligible for a Ragged Mountain Season Pass for only $199. Zimmerman's has a team of knowledgeable skiers and boarders who can help you select the right skis, boots, and snowboards from their wide selection of brands. They also offer cutting-edge tuning technology with their Winter Steiger Mercury machine. They offer a tune-up season pass for $100, which includes a free black diamond tune package, unlimited waxing for the season, and deals on clothing and accessories throughout the entire store for the season. And some good news here, Blister members receive 50% off on this tune-up season pass. Blister members also receive 10% off non-sale items and 20% off seasonal lease packages. And if your boots are not feeling as great as they used to, you can have one of Zimmerman's experienced boot fitters diagnose your problems 
and recommend a solution for both ski and snowboard boots. Located in tax-free New Hampshire, just a short drive from Boston and surrounding areas, you should stop by Zimmerman's today and tell them the folks here at Blister sent you. And now, let's go ahead and get to my conversation about the new tech adapters with Garai Didali. Here we go. Well, Garai, tell us about this new product that you have quite recently unveiled. All right, John. So I'm here from Daymaker Touring and Recently, we just launched our new device called the Tech Adapter. And what this is, is it's a tech adapter. You use a tech touring boot and an adapter system, and it enables you to tour using your existing skis and bindings and just that pin boot. So you can use your entire quiver of skis, whatever, 110, 120, 100, anything. Just take it out in the bindings that you already have mounted and go touring. It's as simple as that. It's 530 grams. You put two of these together. It weighs less than a Nalgene of water. So comparison, it's about the same size, weighs less than that Nalgene of water. That's pretty good. You get bonus points for the succinct description. Um, I've actually got one right here. I will say, as we do here at Blister, we put this thing on our scales and both sets that pair together both came in at exactly 539 grams so you, we gave you major points for sort of tolerance you know tolerance things yeah. very rarely do we wear two uh, do we weigh two bindings or two skis or two you know uh boots and we get exactly the same weight on a thing and uh these came in at exactly this pair came in at exactly 539 right. for us all right you put that <laughs> together and it still weighs less than an algae of water <laughs> Um, you have been thinking about touring solutions for, well, let me just ask for how long now? Um, we've been making adapters since 2016 and by we, I mm -hmm. mean myself and my partner, Chris Trunick and thinking about touring solutions has gone back to probably 2008 for me. Mm -hmm. At that point, I was touring up to jumps with Marco Dukes on my feet. And I would take the pair of skis that I was jumping with and put it on my back. Haul it up to the spot. And I was like, this is just a ridiculous solution. Like, I, <laughs> I can't do this. And I, I really just hated being so high off the snow, but mm -hmm. trying to have that reliable ski binding. And at the time, 2008, I mean, there weren't shifts. There weren't Duke PTs. There weren't many different options that we have today for touring. Yep. So you had to really be dedicated to get out there and then started using an Alpine Trekker, the old BCA one. And the idea was there, but it just did not function and operate that well. So I had met Chris Trunick and he had a similar idea. And together we were like, we can make touring a lot better for many people out there. It's a tool that we need. And I think that a lot of people would like this tool as well. Mm-hmm. So when did your conversations with Chris begin? It began in about 2014, I believe. Uh -huh. And then through 2015, we had just worked on this, shelled out some things. Chris had made a really early on prototype through wood that he showed me. And he wasn't that 
jazzed up. I remember about it, but I remember <laughs> when I saw it, it really clicked. Where I was like, "Chris, this is super cool, man! Like, this has got this four bar linkage. We can make this into a real product." And so started talking in 2014, and and had a a product in 2016. Yeah, that's right. That's pretty quick. Yeah, we lived together. That's where he had shown me the product that he had just started working on, like a garage project. And um, we lived together and we just turned that into our lives, working all day, all night on this thing, working through sourcing in China, trying to get someone to manufacture it. We tried through America and everything was just too small volume to get it going. But that was our life. It was complete dedication for a few years, all day, all night to get this project up and running. Talk a bit more about your own background. And I want you to kind of maybe start with actually more on the education side, because not, you know, some of us see things or think, talk with our friends or like, wouldn't it be cool if there was a product that did this or that? But very rarely do we then start companies and go actually make those things. So talk a little bit about the education or background you have where you actually were in a position to be working on problems like this and getting to kind of where we are today. Yeah. So aside from my background as a professional skier, mainly in park riding, um, slope style, half pike, rails, all of that, I went to the U of U, graduated mechanical engineering in 2013. I worked in biomedical for a while, designed implants, did all of that. And that was part of my job when myself and Chris began working on this adapter project. So you know, with that, like I had this intense passion for solid mechanics, analyzing strengths of materials, putting things together. And um, this was like completely up my alley. It was far more of what I wanted to do than working <laughs> on medical devices, to be honest. Mm -hmm. So just curious, your education, your time in school, I mean, coupled with your ski career, that all put you kind of directly in a kind of wheelhouse to go work on exactly this product or, or, you know, sometimes it's like, well, I went to school, I studied this thing, really didn't end up using anything I learned in school very directly. Um, but it, it provided enough of a kind of launch pad to move into, you know, what we're going to be talking about today. Like how, like on point or how out of left field from the stuff you were actually staying up late studying in school, you know, how relevant, directly relevant was it to the products you're, you're now making? <laughs> Man, engineering school is a funny place. Like we learn about all these very complex systems and like PDEs, ODEs, complicated mathematics and all this stuff that I hope I will never have to deal with <laughs> in my career. But I think the whole point is to create a curriculum that is so intensive and difficult that it weeds out people of like a, a weaker engineering mind. And then just holding up that badge of paper says like, hey, I might not know the answer, but I'm able to find the answer. And that's really what makes an engineer. And so tackling all the issues that we find in skiing day to day or other parts of my life with that education and mindset really comes in handy. And I think that that ultimately is the tool set that I brought from my education into Daymaker Touring is every day myself and Chris are problem solving. Yeah, good answer. So um, you talked about the landscape in 2008. 
not a ton of options on the market for people that wanted to walk up hills and ski down them or hit jumps and the like. But now we're coming up to the end of 2023. Turns out way more options today, right? And I think it's absolutely appropriate if somebody were to see this or is listening to this conversation and is kind of thinking, why are, what are we doing here? Like lots of options exist and I can just pick one of those. I have to reference it and we're definitely going to include a link to it. It might come up again in our conversation here, but you were part of, maybe it was one of my favorite panel sessions from our last Blister Summit where the question that I just put forward, I feel like you and Lars Chickering Ayers and Hoji put together some pretty, a pretty compelling you know, hour-long answer to this question, right? Where we were really getting into issues that are not frequently, or I should say, they are extremely rarely really brought up and discussed when we're talking about the complexities of bindings and boot interfaces and the like. And um, we'll include a link to that, that panel session. But to help the person who maybe hasn't heard that conversation yet, or just still is genuinely curious or not convinced there's lots of options out there. Why create something like this now? And a bit of like, maybe touch a bit on who is it for? Accessibility is the simple answer. Every single touring solution requires that you either have a special boot and then you pick up a special binding and you generally throw it on a special ski. This becomes especially expensive. So for us, we're tackling that issue by just saying, you already own ski boots, you already own ski bindings, you already own skis, and you want to simply start walking uphill. Our product allows you to do that. Our product allows you to go out and just start walking uphill. Get a pair of skins, get an adapter, use the boots, use the bindings, just get out there. And everything else requires that you throw a specific touring binding on a ski. Um, you mount something to your skis. These are all difficult concepts for a lot of people to understand. They're expensive concepts and they're just one more barrier to getting out there and walking. And in the end, if you want a highly specialized system, you go out and do that. But in my eyes, like if you want to pick up like, I don't know, ice skating, you probably don't go out there day one and go buy speed skates. You might want to start with just like a, a loner pair, just get basic ice skates and just go. So. That's where we plug in, but it's also funny that a solution for the more beginner demographic of ski tours is also a solution for the most powerful of ski tours. People looking to free ride hard, hit jumps, hit cliffs. It's a solution that is on both ends of the spectrum. Yep. So just to sum up that first argument, this is about as inexpensive of a solution as I think I'm aware of to get somebody out and able to start you know, skinning up and, and playing a bit in the backcountry. So there is a, there's an affordability component there. There's also sort of a storage space component for people who can't, you literally don't have the room to store multiple pairs of skis, et cetera. Traveling um, lighter, traveling easier, take one setup, good inbounds binding, good out of bounds skiing. Okay. So there's the travel component as well. Let's go now to what you were just saying, the, the sort of the, the downhill performance element. You were saying this, this uh, solution that can be really good for beginners, turns out can also be really good for 
literally the hardest chargers, best skiers out there. Say more on that front. So look at people winning a slope style, winning a free ride event like the Free Ride World Tour, winning downhill races. What do they have in common? They're doing this on bindings and boots designed for it. That's where you get the highest performance in skiing is utilizing these high performance downhill bindings that have been designed for vibration dampening or for uh, transmitting power, especially um, certain amounts of elasticity. So looking at like a, a marker Griffin binding versus a look pivot binding and the functionality there and elasticity, uh, looking at the skis as a whole, it's these things are designed to go fast or go big and have impacts. So it's all about choosing the right tool for the job that day. When I look at a lot of touring equipment, it's created generally for the sole purpose of travel in the mountains. They have lightweight in mind. They have travel in mind. But say your priority is fun and your priority is surfing. Let's say you want to just go out and surf powder. Okay. Something that's like made for traveling isn't necessarily going to be the, the best pow surfing tool. So I look at it like, going downhill biking. Okay. You're ready to rage out there. If you're entering rampage and someone's like, dude, you're hiking a 40 pound bike up. That's silly. You're like, yeah, because that is what I need to hit this 40 foot cliff. All right. If someone says, just get the diamond back like 29 release and go out there and ride that and rampage because it's way lighter and you can hike it up and it's affordable. You'd call them an idiot. You'd be like, I'm going to blow that bike up. It's the yeah. same thing in skiing. I'm going to blow up that binding that you're suggesting to me and I'm going to get injured doing it. Now, one element of among others, we're going to kind of walk through this entire binding, but let's say a bit more about the pins, right? Because you said, hey, you can do this with the boot you have. Well, sort of, depending on the boot you have, right? So talk a little bit about what this binding brings to the table and what it has in terms of its sort of pros and or cons over the original Daymaker. Right. So we have the original Daymaker's Classic, which latched onto any downhill ski boot. You did not need pins in it. And then it enabled you to go touring with your existing bindings and skis. Now we have our Tech Adapter system, which uses a tech toe ski boot and then enables you to go touring with your downhill skis and bindings that you have. So what this did for us was allow us to have a higher performance system that's lighter weight, so you can tour up the mountain easier. It's more rigid. It has a really cool uh, design on the elevator system called our field goal guide rails. And so our elevator is called the pitch switch. And <laughs> uh, those guardrails just lock your boot in. So when you're on a super icy side hill and need to transmit that power torsionally, it can do all of that without any heel slipping. We've also added a lot of other features into it as well, like easy collapsibility. You can go from 345 millimeters expanded to 255 in a second just by flipping a switch. Uh, that way you can collapse it in your backpack really small, take up the least amount of space. And we're making Daymaker crampons as well utilize that system and an adjustable push button AFD. So that will not require any tools. So we've created this fairly complex system packaged into this little adapter. It's like your go-go gadget adapter. Mm -hmm. 
Um, what are your thoughts on, because I, I mean, this is another question and I, I told you we were talking a bit earlier. My impulse was that this product, new product would actually start outselling the Daymaker Classic. And I asked whether you agreed with me on that. And I think a big part of that question really depends on where ski boots are going over the next several years and whether or not we are going to see more ski boots being made with tech fittings and seeing more people looking to purchase boots with tech fittings. Where's what's your crystal ball tell you? Yeah, it's happening. I don't need to look into a crystal ball. It's right <laughs> here in front of us. Like at this point, there's really no reason why someone should buy an all mountain boot without a tech fitting in it. It just opens up opportunities. It doesn't really cost any more. If the boot fits well and you like the way it skis, just get it. And there's tons of great boots out there with those fittings. But a lot of companies are beginning to stick tech toe fittings in their downhill free ride boots, even without a walk mode. People are understanding that a walk mode is not really necessary, but it does create some issues. It is more expensive in manufacturing. It creates rigidity issues where just having a little bit of play in that walk mode feature translates to much more play throughout the entire boot. And so inevitably, you're probably going to give up performance at some point from that little bit of play. I think that really, if you have a chance, like everyone should just get a boot that has a tech fitting in it. And some people won't. Um, I love a boot that does not have it. And I ended up sticking tech toe fittings into that boot. So there are some outfitters that will do it if you're purely in love with one boot and you swear by it and that's like your boot till you die and you're just will never get anything else. There's a way to make a tech compatible. And in, in relation to that expanding industry or uh, amount of people that are willing to buy a product like this, I think it's huge. And I don't think it's just people getting into ski touring. I think that people who already have a lightweight setup or I don't even want to just say like a lightweight setup. They just have a tech setup. They want to go touring with more skis than just what they're set up for. They want to go ahead. They have this awesome ski that they love charging in bounds with. They want to take it out of bounds. Oh, they're riding the mountain and it's chewed up. They decide they want to go out to the side country for a few laps. Like, is it really necessary to go swap over your boots, go grab your lightweight touring setup just to go tour a couple hundred or a thousand vert in the side country? That's pretty ridiculous to give up all that performance and all that time switching over just to do that. It just, it opens up potential. And for a $280 tool, there's really no reason not to have it. $280. Yep. Yep. We dropped the price this year and that was a huge thing we wanted to do. Like life is expensive, man. <laughs> Everyone in this inflation shit is just going crazy. Ski gear has been increased a solid 10 to 20% in the last year. And we hate it. We hate going to the store and paying more for everything. Our groceries, our skiing, our lift tickets. I mean, if you miss out on like your icon or your early seasons past purchase, you're going to drop $200 to go buy a ticket to a resort. It's nuts. So like, I'm really stoked and proud to launch a product at this price of $280 and say, we might be one of the only people in your life that managed to drop the cost of our product to the consumer. At that price point, honestly, what to kind of back up what you were just saying, 
about, look, a number of very passionate skiers. Uh, we own several pairs of skis, right? And one of the things that I think is potentially interesting here is, you know, we talk a lot actually about weight. I bang the drum a lot that like weight is not an inherent evil. Let's stop acting like the lightest boot, the lightest binding, the lightest ski is the best ski binding or boot. I think, frankly, some marketing in the industry has misled people to kind of think that should be the case. Well, now, this is a pretty inexpensive option and way for people to judge for themselves, right? Because that's ultimately what it comes down to. What might be regarded as too heavy of a setup for me, you might not think so, right? You're also going bigger than me in the backcountry, right? Like if I'm in the backcountry, I'm keeping things pretty mellow. If you're out there hitting big stuff, you and I are likely going to have a difference of opinion about how much, you know, how burly is too burly, unnecessarily burly. And I think something like this is going to let people, you know, they've heard me complain or, you know, caution that don't just go get the lightest thing out there. Well, now people can experiment and play and find their own kind of sweet spot. Yeah. That's kind of cool. We have this notion that everyone wants light. Light is right. But we have a lot of Daymaker users in Pennsylvania who go up before work in the morning. They tour the mountain on groomers and they ride their performance groomer ski in the morning because the resort is closed before work. They want to get their one run in. And so they don't care about the weight. They're going up a thousand vertical feet or something. They want a performance run on the fresh corduroy on the way down. It's such an absurdly awesome usage of our yeah. product. Yeah. I loved it when I heard about this and I was like, man, this, it makes my day. Yeah. And so their usage is so different, but a lot of people do this. They tore up before work. They're, you're not riding crazy backcountry in a lot of places in the world. You just want to get out. It's a place that's safe. Other people are touring. And it's as simple as that. You want to have a really good quality run on the way down. We're so mm -hmm. focused on the uphill that sometimes we forget about the downhill. I really like the idea of that. Just touring up on groomers to like crush clean corduroy on your like heavy, dedicated, high performance front side carver. Yeah. That's, we that's, had people... That's do race training on our product before they're at oh. mount hood and they would tour palmer on their race gear to get the exercise to then go bash the gates and i'm like damn all right maybe i need to make a heavier adapter for you that's how champions are born <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's right yeah let's go into a bit more of the specifics of this because it is pretty interesting but one thing i have to ask you about it's called what is the name of it the field goal yeah, it's the field goal guardrails. Okay. Now, um, I'm still at times embarrassingly still passionate about football. And yeah. I'm like, why <laughs> why field goal? Because it could, I mean, it's a... When you land in those things, it's all good, baby. <laughs> when your boot is locked in between those field goals, you're locked in, like you are transmitting all the force. Your step is precise. You know that you're not going to slip out. It's all good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I, I, I'm not sure that analogy sort of goes a hundred percent of the well, way, but it's like, it's like 93% yeah, of the it's way. It's like yeah. a field goal. That's where it all comes from. Everything else um, is just additional play out there. And, and I, 
you and I haven't had this conversation. Are you a football fan? Not the slightest bit. I am, okay, I I am a, a European football guy. I'm a soccer fan. Yeah. Okay. All right. All right. I just, I, my job in life is to identify the, the, the skiers and snowboarders and mountain bikers out there who are secretly like passionate about football. And then we just f- have formed a really tiny little click and we just huddle together. Yeah. So I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> Wait a minute. Is uh does this point to somebody else who should be in the the little yeah, club? No, I mean I uh in that engineering job in biomedical, I've won the fantasy football league. That's like the closest I've Your ever come to, to anything about. Yeah. Which also goes to show like about fantasy football leagues or any kind of football league in general. The guy who likes soccer best ends up winning because this is all such a stupid crapshoot. Like I, I'm not giving you any like smarty points for that one. Um, yeah, football is a dumb sport that some of us love for uh, <laughs> inexplicable reasons, um, and it rarely makes sense. Okay, now one of the things I do want to talk about is why you are talking about. I keep forgetting the last word because I'm so obsessed with just the field yeah, goal yeah. part. It, you you call so we call the elevator itself the pitch switch. The pitch I mean, switch, yeah. yeah, and because you know you're you're switching it for the pitch, yeah. And so if you're going in the flats, you've got to set flat. If you're going on the a, a medium pitch, then you set it to the medium riser, yeah, yeah. And it's the guardrails, the guardrails, exactly. But one of the things that there is no denying about this uh, this adapter is you are sitting pretty high up off the ski, right? And that is why I presume in the kind of marketing and messaging of this product so far, you are emphasizing like, hey, we've given you this nice space just to help direct, you know, like to keep you coming down clean within sort of the system. But talk a little bit about that height. Yeah, exactly. So the adapter inevitably has to be higher off the ground than, say, a tech binding mounted directly to your ski. If you're higher off the ground, there will be more torque provided on the system. And so for this adapter to operate with every single binding on the market as well, we had to create a very unique geometry to fit around those bindings, a very specific height to try to get you as low as possible and be able to clear your toe piece and your heel piece through the full articulation of the boot. So under all that torque, we created this guardrail system where when your boot is landing on the heel, it will channel your boot towards the center of that elevator every single time and lock it in place with these specially designed rib pattern we have on that pitch switch as well. And all these boots have a Vibram sole, some sort of rubberish material on the bottom that's going to grip very well in those traction groups. So when you're pressing down, your boot cannot slip. Even within that guardrail, it can't slip back and forth in there. But as your boot is landing down into it, it gets channeled to the center. So this is a unique system that we created to solve that issue of, okay, well, now we're pinned in the front only, and there's a lot of torque on the system the boot is going to wander in the heel under extreme circumstances. Mm -hmm. Steep side hilling. Exactly. And steep side hilling, tackling that issue, and this does it extremely effectively. You mentioned in passing, and it's definitely worth talking about, 
kind of universal compatibility. Say a bit more about that. Yeah, our adapter systems work with every single downhill binding on the market. That's incredibly important to us. We can't just sell something that you're like, oh, I got to buy one for my Tyroli. I got to buy one for this. Like at that point, if you had to buy a device for every single setup you had, please go ahead and just buy some other system out there. You know, go buy some other touring binding. But for that price, we give you an adapter that works with every single one. So transferability and adaptability is our number one priority that these adapters can be put into every single binding that you own. And this ranges from a look pivot to those big wings of the Solomon STH. And that's such a cult following of people who love that binding. You can see on that design that these <laughs> jaws are kind of carved out in the middle. If you look at that toe piece, our, our lock jaw there, uh, the STH wings actually sit right into these wings like this. And it just fits right around those. Um, compatible with uh, marker bindings, Tyrolia, knee bindings. You know, there's a lot of guys out there and women too that love the knee binding, especially patrol. And so they are stoked when they're like, oh, wow, I can go touring with this binding. So how hard was it to achieve that kind of universal compatibility? Like, was it surprisingly easier than we might imagine? Insane. Or was it so tough? Insane. Okay. I mean, on our website, we have a really cool CAD model of every single binding on the market. We 3D scanned it and overlaid it. And then we designed our geometry around that. And you can just see this like this hideous shape created by all these bindings. <laughs> it's a monster. You look at it, it's so intimidating. And we just tried to come up with so many different geometries that can work with it, trying to lower the profile as much as possible. And after a lot of long days and weeks and hours of design, came up with this jaw system that could fit around the STH, kind of absorb that STH, and then fit around most other bindings on the market. And so was this an example where if you were just like, screw it, if we just say it is not compatible with one binding out there, would that have really simplified things quite a bit? Yeah. And, and, and would that have been the STH? That would have been the STH. That was definitely <laughs> the make or break. Like we could have, yeah. we could have said, yeah, no more STH and probably made this thing like a little bit smaller, but there were also many advantages to doing this shape. Uh, what we ended mm -hmm. up with was by spanning that jaw out to absorb the STH, we created like a big I-beam that creates this incredibly mm -hmm. strong aluminum structure with that I-beam span. And so like there's, there's just no way someone could break that thing. It's so strong. And in the end, if we didn't need to design around that STH, we maybe would have gone with like a standard kind of U-channel bend, but it just wouldn't look as cool in the end and it would not have been so strong. So I think that maybe that STH really was this like a uh, little golden egg. Hmm. Um, so the insane thing actually maybe turned out to be a good thing. Yeah, I really think so. Um, how much playing around with materials did you do to get to the binding that you were happy with. It, walk us through that. Maybe it's a quick story, maybe it's not. But when it just came to, you know, factors like weight, when it came to factors like strength, durability, etc., what what did the design of this thing look like? Yeah, our past Daymaker Classic was made out of stainless steel and it was a whole stainless steel frame, which lent itself really well to creating a four-bar linkage, which was in essence that binding 
and a four bar linkage is created for people who don't have a lock mode boot um, rather than a single pivot system that doesn't work well. People who don't have ankle articulation from a non walk mode boot, our four bar linkage adds back in a lot of this motion underneath the balls of the feet to pretty much compensate for that lack of ankle movement. So on this system, we can move away from the stainless steel. And we were like, we want to use lighter weight materials. We want to use um, like carbon fiber where possible. We want to use high strength aluminum, a lot of bang for the buck there when it comes to weight and the strength. And um, we had already developed quite an arsenal of working with plastics out there from our, our previous projects. We did a lot of 3D printing, like mm-hmm. so much. Uh, Chris, he loves 3D printing, really, <laughs> really just geeks out on it. And, um, you know, and there, was, there was times where we were like, whoa, could we make this whole thing out of plastic? And maybe it's possible. Uh, could drop a lot of weight. I mean, and we have this notion in our minds that like plastic is weak, but then we forget looking at something like, uh, you know, Solomon Shift, that whole toe piece being plastic is just a, a carbon infused nylon. And we implemented carbon infused nylon for a lot of our binding as well. So that elevator piece, as well as the toe piece is carbon nylon. Mm-hmm. Um, incredible properties to it and we knew when it came to the jaw going out of aluminum for that it was just the perfect part for it because it's a it's a piece that's based on flexure and aluminum has pretty nice tolerance before it breaks when it comes to that flexure super strong and it was just enough flexure that we needed for closing pins while maintaining mm-hmm. all that strength and you can do aluminum extrusions which is mm-hmm. huge uh-huh. so we i mean i guess over the course of probably a year and a half we really figured out which exact materials we would use then and there's a couple yep. other materials incorporated into there as well so let's talk about the testing of it that you yeah. did and when you were trying to find where are the weak points in the system mm-hmm. and how you even went about thinking again it's when we're getting into binding stuff or binding adapters, weight is going to be a bit of uh, an element, right? Yeah. Um, and I'm just curious where in the design of this, you thought this is too strong. Like that's, we're getting into like, we are okay and comfortable setting a lower limit here, maybe for the sake of either um, simplicity of the design or keeping weight down, et cetera. Talk a bit about how you arrived at some of those decisions. We made a lot of different prototypes, um, tons of this toe wing. And I had some full aluminum ones that were hardly machined down and then just kept milling away material and taking away material until it was just not rigid enough. And it was, it was breaking on us. So, um, or, or not even breaking, I guess I should say like reached our breaking point where there was just too much torsion on the system. And we were like, Hey, this is just too much. Like we can't have people touring on that. So we, we took this like more built out design and just kept eliminating, eliminating, eliminating until we reached that point that was just too weak. We did that, especially too in the elevator where if we're talking about priorities, one of our biggest priorities out there was snow shedding and ice buildup. There's a lot that we had learned since our earlier products about this and we said the number one thing that can't happen here is someone can't have ice build up in the system and then restrict their motion on the adapter 
So when we were talking about materials, we chose to use a specific type of plastic that had very good hydrophobic properties to ensure that ice would never build up on it. And we created a really cool ice breaking design out of the elevator. So when it lands on the heel, which is made out of that other plastic that's got really good hydrophobic properties and like a high gloss finish so that no, no snow or no water can like permeate into that and then freeze and then stick together. That elevator has this like really sharp wedge design that when this sandwich is down on any snow that may have built up, it just crushes that ice and flings it right out. And then the reverse, if snow were to pack in on the top of the elevator system, it easily just pushes it out. And we have snow ports throughout that elevator system too, where anything that could build up in this internal cam that locks into different positions, that internal cam also pushes the snow out of these ports. Hmm. So that elevator was like uniquely designed for that purpose. And we kept taking away material from it and taking away material to try to eliminate any spots where snow could build up, but we had to find that fine balance of strength as well. Yeah. And then that was where that carbon infused nylon became so essential in our design. It's just, it's so strong and things that if we were to run that out of a different plastic, like pure nylon or a glass filled nylon, it just would not have worked. This is going to be one of the most important questions of the conversation, I think. I think with what we've seen with a lot of bindings and particularly maybe hybrid bindings that are coming out, we've come up there a number of pretty slick, fancy, complicated products have come out. And I think it's often fair to say that these different products might have a particular issue or element to their design where user error can really create bigger problems, right? Yeah. So what would you say for this tech adapter? What would you say are some of the things where it's like, here's the number one thing or the top two or three things where you can tell people now before they go get out in the mountains, right? Remember these three things from just a, you know, s- yeah. smart user things to do. Yep. So I'd say number one thing is... This is a system where we have a quick release lever and a knob that tightens the other side of that quick release lever so that you can adjust how much those pins collapse on your boot. Dialing that in typically before you go touring is a good idea. When these ship to you, you'll install the quick release lever and then your boot inserts into the pins just by a little bit of deflection, but you'll need to tighten up the lever appropriately to get it to lock onto your boots and have no play. You can choose to over tighten it, but that will mean that it'll be more difficult to get your boot into the pins. And if you don't tighten it enough, then it won't lock down on your pins enough. There is a spec to getting that just right. And it's really easy by hand just to put your boot in there and tighten it down enough to the point that it grips onto it. But I could foresee some people going out and just being like, oh, I just threaded the knob on once and I went out and it wasn't tight enough for me. So I'm going to tell you, like, you have to adjust the quick release properly before touring. Just like any system, I mean, you get a bicycle and you put your skewer in and you didn't tighten it enough, your front wheel's going to go crazy. Yeah. So follow our tutorial on how to set up an adapter. Secondly, oh, go on. Well, let me, just, just, just stay on that. So 
follow the tutorial, you should, there shouldn't be a lot of guessing game or wiggle room around, did I put too much tension on, not enough? You're, you're saying that the tutorial, because I don't think we have seen that yet. No. We got the, yeah. No, nope, so, you have, haven't seen it yet. And so it's, it's a relatively quick thing. I think in my mind, it would take about um, someone watching a video should take like a minute to get it right. Yeah. You just, yep. you simply okay. have your boot there. You put it into the pins. You thread this knob down just enough to, so that when you close the lever, it tightens to your boot pins without any slop back and forth. It's, mm -hmm. you just tighten it to that point. If there is yeah. any sort of slop where you can rattle your boot in the pins, it means just turn the knob a couple more times and then you're good to go. Yep. Uh, the next thing I'd say on like yeah. those, those big things, um, to point out is, we have a, a pretty unique system for adjusting length. It's extremely mm -hmm. quick to slide open and close. It works a lot like your ski touring pole. When you allow the ski touring pole, like on the lever that clamps it, if you allow that knob to, let's say you loosen it too much, what happens yep. to your ski touring pole? Yeah. It's going, it yeah. collapses. So yep. all you gotta do is just like make sure that that is tight enough to the point where when you push on this adapter from either side, it does not collapse. It is very well designed to hold its length under pressure. And by under pressure, I mean the forward pressure of a very strong ski binding. So it will hold. Just make sure that you turn the knob tight enough to hold. Uh, and when you're putting this into a ski binding, it's pretty easy to size it. You just kind of slide the adapter into your ski binding and then you slide it out to the length of the ski binding like that your boot would be and press it down into your binding. So I could foresee where someone's like, well, I put it in there and it pops out of my ski binding. It's very likely that you just need to go a couple millimeters longer so that the binding actually utilizes its forward pressure to lock the system in. Just like if your binding was set a couple millimeters or centimeter too big for your ski boot, how's that going to hold your boot in? This is designed to operate just like your ski boot. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting. There's, we were a little surprised. I mean, one, we spend a lot of time with demo bindings, right? Because that then allows us when we're testing skis to like play with different mount points and we can move heel and toe pieces forward, get it all, you know, like do proper, like if we want to go plus two on, on a ski or something. But so we were a little surprised checking this out to see a letter system, right? We're not seeing 305, 310, 315, we're seeing A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H. Yeah, it's funny you talk noticed a little that. Bit about that? Yeah. yeah, actually, so that whole thing is designed for the specific purpose of you can disassemble the adapter and cut the poles shorter. And so this way, if you want to make a tiny little tech adapter nugget out of it, you can do it. Um, some people are like, hey, I have a 300 millimeter boot. I'm never going to go to a 345. I'm going to yep. cut off four and a half centimeters of length. And then I can get my packability down to like 20 centimeters. And for some people that might really matter. For instance, I take a drone with me in the backcountry a lot. And so if I want to minimize the space uh -huh. for the adapter and maximize space for other goods, I can do that. It is not going to save much weight at all. These yeah. aluminum extrusions for poles are super light. What it does is it saves space. So Interesting. the reason why we did letters is because once you trim the poles that are according to a numerical scale, 
that numerical scale is no longer relevant. <laughs> and then it's going to take you or other people who touch it for a total spin. And they're going to be like, it says 300 millimeters. Why is it not this length? It's not working for me. So we said, okay, people are probably more attached to like a specific letter that they could then associate with where they say, oh, I just slide it open to G every single time. And that seems to work perfect rather than just like people who are experienced could just like eyeball, hey, this is long enough when they slide it into their binding. They know how forward pressure works. They know right where they like it. But I think this helps out a lot of other people who find that, oh, it works best at G and a half. Mm-hmm. So G and, then, a half. G and a half. Yeah. I'm a G and a half guy. Exactly, yeah. man. Uh, me too. Sometime I'm a, a G and three quarters, but. <laughs> um, all right. I'm going to interject this and then we'll see. So you, you've, for, to keep track of this, you've given us two pr- big pointers here in terms of trying to like uh, preempt any user, you know, u- user error issues. Um, do you want to do a third? Uh, you, your choice. I'll. I can go with my point that I was going to make, or you can offer your third to keep uh to stay on our user error avoidance tips. Um. No, I want to hear it. I'm here to answer okay. questions, so fire away. Well, one of the things that was really interesting, and and there's a bit of um. I don't know how many people might be like us, but I was with my managing editor Luke Kappa the other day in Blister headquarters. We're checking this thing out for the first time, and you know, just playing with it. And it is really interesting. Like, as I said, we didn't see the tutorial in terms of like, well, so how much pressure should we be setting, you know, on these jaws clamping into, um, you know, into pins on a boot. And we were playing with that a bit. And the system is all very, very intuitive and simple. But we're so used to coming from a world, right, where when we're setting AFDs and when we're setting forward pressure on bindings, we're really starting to try to dial things in to like, I don't know, a millimeter, half millimeter. And in the panel session conversation that you were part of that we had at the Blister Summit, this was an interesting thing that kind of came to mind. We were talking about in that panel session, um, when you're skiing a regular pin binding, in your pin boot, the number of times, the more you're stepping into and out of closing that system, missing a little bit on that system, right? You're, 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 you're fighting often to get in. Well, that starts wearing down. That can start wearing down the fittings on your boot. And one of the fascinating things that I think is worth pointing out, I mean, you, you and Lars and Hoji, I think, all spoke really well to like, hey, let's just be aware of some of the, the, the factors that use and wear can create on a system. Well, here, first of all, this isn't dialing in your particular DIN setting or whatever. Like the pins are just to hold the boot in as you walk up the mountain because then you take them out and you are clicking into your alpine binding, right? And I just think that's worth kind of pausing on because, you know, sometimes it's like, yep, we're dealing with all these bindings. It's like, this is an adapter. Yeah. (laughs) And you you by now might be clear on this, but I think for some of us, it's worth kind of reiterating this, right? I think that's a a great point to hammer at home that this is an adapter. And and we like the adapter for so many reasons. Um, To go back to the pin thing on it, 
it's a very low tech system, a quick release for it. So as these pins might wear down over time, you just tighten the knob a little bit more and you can adjust for that. Most bindings do not have adjustability for the pins. That's what I think that you were getting at before that mm-hmm. you can just constantly keep adjusting. Secondly, yeah, you, you step out of it. You unlatch it from your boots. You step into your normal downhill ski binding that is adjusted for your ski boots. Ski boots, as they wear down, you can adjust your AFD and account for that. Have a certified tech do that if you don't know how to do it yourself or don't trust yourself. Even if you do, maybe have someone look at it that works in that trade because you might learn something still. Mm-hmm. Top of that, we did build in an adjustable AFD. So it's that push button AFD. And uh, if you've got a downhill sole, which does happen sometimes with pin boots, or you can be mm-hmm. a psycho like me and throw <laughs> pins into your downhill boot. And, um, you know, that's one thing too. The cast guys do inserts for boots. Yep. They did my boots. So that is a realm. And uh, I'm, I'm stoked to hear that they do that because that's repurposing perfectly good boots to perform a new task. And that can just, I mean, you don't need to go out there and buy new boots all the time. Like you've got perfectly good boots. You can have this conversion done to your boot and then utilize a system like ours to go out touring. Um, you can't use that system on the boots for actual skiing in a pin binding, but you could use an adapter system after you have that conversion made. Mm-hmm. Uh, another big thing to the adaptability part or just using an adapter and pins is the safety. Now, there was a big incident in Utah that happened about two years ago. Um, and people were buried in an avalanche with their skis on. They were buried while they were touring uphill and they all had their skis locked out. Locked. And it is proven by the avalanche foundations that you're more likely to be buried in an avalanche if you have your skis attached to you. So when we lock out pins touring uphill, we have to be aware that those are anchors that are pulling us lower and lower into the snow. And with our adapter system, you have an adapter in a releasable DIN binding, which means that if you got caught in an avalanche, it's more likely that this adapter is going to pop out of your releasable ski bindings. Hmm. It'll still maybe be attached to your boot. I'd be incredibly surprised if it was still attached. I'd be proud of the engineering there, our strength, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's just a tiny little adapter that's just going to be flopping mm-hmm. on your boot in an avalanche. That's not going to pull you down in an avalanche snow. It's not going to be an anchor. So there is a level of safety to using an adapter system touring uphill. Interesting. Well, man, it has been super cool walking through this whole new product with you. We're fortunate to be getting our hands on it, playing with it a bit. We have not toured in this yet. Snow is forecasted for this weekend. I think it's going to be coming soon to the Gunnison Valley here. Um, but we still have, uh, you know, to get to click into this thing ourselves. Um, but to me, it is just really exciting. Again, when you were talking earlier on about 2008 and remembering the landscape around 2008, you know, let alone even 2004. Um, I mean, to where we are today, where I think it's a beautiful thing, the range of products and the number of people and companies that have done really good engineering work across this broad spectrum, right? From the lightest, the lightest binding solutions and systems on the market to systems like this. Um, 
it's really cool. I love options. I love helping try to educate skiers, help them think about what do I really want or need? And, or, and sometimes it's like, what do I want or need for this mission or this weekend versus some other weekend, right? Does that, does that resonate with you? Yeah. Yeah. That's a really important point to bring up. Ski technology has come a long ways and so much from 2004, 2008. And people just got a tool. People got to choose the right tool for the job, the right thing for them. And like, is an adapter a great tool to use? Yeah. Is it the tool for every day, every mission? No, dude, I own a lightweight full tech setup. Like if I'm going to go do multiple thousands of feet, I am not taking out my charging downhill skis, man. Like did Mount Shasta this spring, did it on the the moment Voyager binding 14. Uh Love that binding. Incredibly impressed. Did it on my, my laying XT touring boot. And that was the right tool for the job that day. Now, I I just think it's funny in skiing when I'm like touring up Grizzly Gulch and I see someone in like super Hmm. light gear and, and everything and like super cine skis and they're like pinky out staring at me and they're like, dude, nice adapters, bro. Like day wreckers and saying this, I'm like, man, you really need that light of gear to tour up like 1200 vertical feet. That's, that's just an absurd thing. Like if we're, we're skiing in two totally different ways. So like, I don't feel the need to tell someone, Hey, you're skiing wrong. And I don't think that they should be out there with that mentality telling other people that they're touring wrong with this setup because they don't know that I'm going up with a crew of guys and we're going to go hit like, you know, 30 foot cliff that day that we're going to go and we're going to be spinning on it. We're not just going to go air off of it and back slap right away, deep powder. Be sure you can go do that on a tech binding, but it's different when you're, you're tossing tricks. Um, some days you're just going out there for a tour. Like you don't even need to be tricking. You're just going to go do a couple thousand feet or side country. Why not take the boots and the skis that you absolutely love the most? The thing that's going to perform the best for those conditions. And so like we, we need to drop that mentality of like judging people for their gear, for the weight of their gear or judging the way that they ride in the back country. Because I don't, I don't ski like most people and I don't expect other people to ski like me. So like, let's mm-hmm. just get past that and not have that mentality in the back country because that's why a lot of people don't even ski the resorts because we just don't want to deal with that attitude. So mm-hmm. for us, Daymakers is just all about getting out and touring. It's as simple as that. Just whatever you got to do, just get outside, go walk, go ski and have fun and enjoy that thrill on snow. Well said. Yeah. And, and our, our approach to this is we really just want people to be as informed as possible about the trade-offs that they're making, um, about some of the safety concerns that can come up. You know, it has. we've spent more time probably in the last couple of years trying to remind people or tell them for the first time that super light, minimalistic pin bindings were not designed to be bashing like hard moguls in bounds all day. And I, I think that there is still some education work that we can do on that front. And but th- but at the end of the day, if we can just help get people clear on the the choices and compromises they're making, then you go do you, right? And it's never been a better time, you know, for you to go do you because we have so many 
interesting options on the market. And I just want to make sure people know what they're actually clicking into and and the kind of consequences of that, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, binding engineers have spent many, many a decades working on our downhill bindings to make them as safe as possible. Yes, injuries still occur. Things happen. But when you do click into a full tech binding and you're using it in an unintended way, you're increasing your chances of injury. That goes for anything in life. Um, so I tend to trust for the way that I ski my downhill bindings more than my tech setup. And I, I just know going into it every time, um, you know, the, the hazards at bay and, and just having an intended use for the day. I, I know my goal and I know what I want to ski. And that kind of brings me back to um, two and a half years ago when I blew my first Achilles tendon. Mm-hmm. And, and this is one of those things. I, I did not choose the right gear for the day of my intended use. And we have to have that intention starting out. So I, I was at Brighton and I was going to go do just like a long mellow tour. And I had my kingpin set up that day and my touring boot. And then I was like, oh, it's such a good day in bounds. I'm just going to go ride a few runs. So I had my touring boot and I had my full powder ski with my downhill binding on it. And skiing powder, aired off a cliff and just kind of rolled over my ski weird and folded my touring boot in half. And I blew my Achilles tendon. Like something that I just felt like would never have happened in my other ski boot. And so mm-hmm. I, I paired this like powerful powder ski and a downhill binding with, I mean, granted, it was a Lang XT140. It should have been a powerful touring boot, but it's just not the same as my downhill boot, man. Yeah. It is not. And I folded the thing in half, blew my Achilles. It was devastating. And I just, I hated myself for that choice of like, why, like, I don't do this. This isn't normally my choice for the day. And, you know, after that, I got pins stuck in my downhill boot. So I wouldn't run into a thing like that. But that day I set out with the intention of going touring. And then I used that gear for a different purpose than my personally, like my choices, the way that I would go about things and what I did. And this boot is totally capable of being a full downhill boot for many a people, but it just didn't work for me in that geometry wasn't really tuned to how I like it for the way that I ride and bounce. I think you just transitioned us into a conversation about uh, injuries, something <laughs> something that you and I have both <laughs> had our more than fair share of maybe. I mean, I think you're I think you're winning though by a lot. I've had a couple doozies. Dude, this is not something I want to be winning in. <laughs> no, no, it, no, I, it's it's something I don't either want to be winning in, but um you and I were talking about this also earlier, um, you know, this injury insurance stuff and how kind of messed up like healthcare in general is and often insurance can be and it's maddening. And um, there's a reason why a lot of us don't like to think about insurance and the rest. Um, but you have had sort of your fair share of accidents and we have a segment and gear 30 called crashes and close calls where we're just trying to tell more stories to make it click for more people like oh yeah i could imagine being in that scenario or you know something like that happening to me we just want to get people informed so i had asked you before you just shared this achilles story which don't is worry i got more a, 
you got, we could we could go for I feel like we could go for several hours here. But what what do you feel like sharing if I ask you for a crash or close call story? Yeah. So I think most people who know me would probably be thinking about my big 2013 crash where I broke my back and pelvis yeah. got airlifted out of there. You know, that's one of them. Pretty but good. but I think. The story that relates to more people in this circumstance is my shoulder story. So, do you want me to roll into that one? Go. I, mean, I want to hear. In. Um, this is my new like weird fetish is hearing people's like, yeah, wrecked. <laughs> this is how I got wrecked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that other one is definitely more of like the the wrecked fetish of injuries. <laughs> but uh, well, yeah, I don't want to go there. Uh, the the shoulder one is like I was jumping at the Olympic Park and back slapped so hard that I blew my shoulder out and tore like the labrum and everything. I got taken to the hospital and basically just got put in a sling, sent out. But I mean, it was a rough one. I was in there for hours of them tugging on my shoulder, trying to put it back in. They could not. My friend was there like, come on, let me stand up there on top of them. I'll pull like, do you even yeah. work out, bro, to the doctor? Yeah. And uh, they gave up dropped my arm and it popped back in after like three hours of them yanking on it. It was crazy. It was, they were like going to put me into surgery next. But the thing was, is I, for years, um, I kept popping my shoulder out and I went through like PT. I tried to do a ton of strengthening and I just never wanted to get surgery on it. And it was expensive. I didn't have proper insurance at the time. So I just kept being like, well, if I just keep rehabbing this, it got to the point where like, it would pop out rolling over in bed. Um, I couldn't grab blunt, which is a sacred grab in skiing. If I grabbed mm -hmm. blunt, it would pop my left shoulder out. Duh. And Duh. when I got to that point in my skiing where I was at like 40 dislocations, it had to change. I was becoming someone who I did not want to be. Hmm. And so I would have like, I, I ended up getting surgery. I got the full ladder shay. It cost a ton of money. I was writing to the hospital and all these things for financial aid. So I ended up paying a lot of money out of pocket in the end. And my shoulder's been awesome. I wrecked my skiing for three freaking years because I didn't want to get surgery. I became a straight pussy on my skis, man. Like, I wish I would have just pulled the trigger from the start and gotten surgery after like the second dislocation. And mm -hmm. I would have gained probably two years of better skiing in my life from it. Mm -hmm. And that's one of those. Like, didn't have insurance, didn't have the right coverage. If I was able to get surgery earlier, like right after the incident and had the money for that or the means or the right insurance, yeah, I would have gone right into it. But I just thought I could battle it out. And that's not the case. I mean, we've had a couple comments come in and be like, y'all are talking too much about injuries and stuff. And I'm like, I'm sorry, but I know, I don't know, 95% of the people in my life and that I talk with and that are my closest friends, this stuff is real. This stuff is happening. And the fact that we've been able to come up with a pretty inexpensive solution through this Blister Plus thing to like actually get the vast majority of people who could use and benefit from an injury insurance thing that they can now, there's a solution. And I'm, I'm tired. I, it makes me sick to my stomach. I keep getting these texts and emails in from people in my community or Blister members or people who are like, man, I was going to sign up for this. I just didn't get around to it. And I just blew up on my mountain bike. And now I got those bills, you know, and, and your, your story is a perfect example. Like 
Now, there is a thing, this Blister Plus injury insurance, you mess up your shoulder, you would be covered for that surgery. You don't have, we don't have to avoid treatment anymore, you know? And I probably would have done the exact same thing as you is like, well, it's too expensive. The, the, the calculus is off. And I know you said to me, like, we were talking about some other stuff and you're like, all the times I didn't go get treatment all the times, you know? And like, I think you were kind of alluding to like, you're kind of paying for it now. Like it, those injuries stack up. The older you get, the stuff we let go and don't get checked out. That's going to catch up to all of us. And I don't know. I think that is why I'm so passionate about. I, I don't care if, if people don't need it. You can skip this part of the conversation. I just know that there's, first of all, I think the number is 40 million people just in the United States who don't have insurance. But then the more I learn about how insurance works in other countries, there's way too many loopholes where coverage doesn't exist where you might think it does. And I'm just, I want to see far fewer of my fellow mountain bikers, skiers, snowboarders, et cetera, be getting wrecked and, and sometimes facing like financial ruin when you're already messed up from these, you know, accidents on the mountain. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that in these circumstances, we tend to think about like the really major ones, right? Like the, yeah, the forest, right. we think about the forest fire, like of me that's why i didn't really want to bring up the when i exploded my back and everything got heli flight is like that's the thing that can happen to so few people and the fire that can happen to so few forests but we need to think about like the everyday thing that's chipping away at us that is like the Mm -hmm. beetle route to a forest and Mm -hmm. that to me was that shoulder incident where it just kept pushing it off day by day by day Mm -hmm. and then before you know it know it i was a person transformed by it Mm -hmm. not who i want to become so like just don't don't let that shit slip another day. You know, by the time I was talking to you earlier about snow tires and like, what was that? Yeah, right, what was right. that final push to get me to go throw on the correct tire was there's a storm coming in tomorrow. And I finally went out and got it. And like, the thing is, is if that storm already hits, you're screwed. You're not getting up there for that day of skiing or you're getting in a car wreck. And that's the same for insurance for us. If you buy that insurance, after you got injured, what good is it? And that all starts today. Like that's one of those things where you, you don't sit and you say, well, tomorrow I'm going to do this. You just have to look at yourself in the mirror and commit, purchase it. Well, we'll see. Um, we're glad it exists. And, uh, it, you and I had a cool conversation about it is like the minute I laid it out to you, you're like, that's incredible. That makes total sense. And, um, and it's cool to get those reactions. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, we have done our job. One, we've created it. We put it together. Two, we got to get the messaging out to everybody. Then everybody can make their own decision. And I just hope that we do act responsibly in this way. And um, I think we're about to find out as we're rolling up on another winter here in the Northern Hemisphere. So if we've been too vague on some of this, it's called Blister Plus. We'll include a link in the show notes to this episode. You are covered. It's anywhere in the world for skiing, snowboarding, mountain biking, gravel riding, road riding, trail running, climbing, kayaking. There's a bunch of sports. Um, and um, we there's a reason that I get on here and talk really passionately about this because I keep getting emails and I keep seeing people right here in the Gunnison Valley with GoFundMe campaigns popping up 
because they didn't have a coverage like this and they just got wrecked mountain biking and I want this to stop. So, all right, I will, enough of that. Um, hey man, um, appreciate the time and it's really cool what you've been doing for some years uh, to give and provide more options in the touring space. I think this new product looks really interesting. You and I are talking, might, might be seeing you at the Blister Summit. We'll yeah. see. Might might have some of these available. Um, I actually was just talking to a couple of ski companies because they're like, what should we bring to the summit? And I know you have the touring component, but we don't have like a bunch of touring bindings on hand. And I was literally sending pictures of the tech adapter and they were like, oh, shit, that that actually might just solve it for yeah, us. Exactly. So what they needed. It, yeah, so I, that that those conversations literally were today, and um, I'm excited to get get it in front of more companies, get it in front of more skiers, and um, let's let uh, people make their own judgments on this. But to to the last thing, then I'll ask, what's up with this? Are they now available? Where can people find them, purchase them, etc.? Yeah, check drafters. They're available now at www.daymakertouring.com. We are shipping out this week and next week, getting all those pre-orders fulfilled. And you can get yours ordered right up before the season hits. You know, don't keep waiting. Like touring season's here and people are going to take out their super expensive touring setup, go blow it apart on a rock. And then all mm -hmm. of us with rock skis are going to be like, this is why I have this setup. Mm -hmm. So I can take out those rock skis in the preseason. <laughs> and get all those turns before everyone else and not be doing the walk of shame and their expensive broken gear. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, I, I firmly believe this is the, it's the touring solution for the 99%. Always fun to talk, man. And, uh, good luck with the season. I mean, what, what does the winter look like for you? Are you going to be around sort of mostly getting to places to show off this product? Um, what, what else do you have on tap? Gonna show it off, uh, go about my normal athlete thing for the most part. I spent the last two years injured, two seasons where I've only gotten a half season at best. So mm -hmm. I'm really excited going into this season healthy. And, uh, last year I went to Turkey with filmmaker Henny Bunjarsfield. Yeah. Spent three weeks working on a film that's going to be coming out, uh, some episodes later this fall, early winter. Huh. But then we're making a movie as well that will start showing at Film Fest the next year. But I'm planning on going back to Turkey as well to this amazing mountain ranges there. Uh, super cool ski touring destination called Ovid Mountain that working with those guys that really get it up and running. But it's unbelievable the mountain ranges in that country. And I've got to go back. I mean, out of all the places I can go in the world, that's like the one trip that I'm committing to this winter. So that's good. at least what I can tell you what my winter looks like. I don't exactly <laughs> know, but it's it's going to have some kebab in it. <laughs> awesome, man. Hey, um, congrats on this. I'm looking forward to getting more people's feedback on it, including our own team's uh, feedback on it. And um, yeah, um, hope to see you at the summit. And um, I hope you have a great winter. Same. Blister Summit's an amazing event and mm. really hope to be there again super psyched for it all so thanks for all you do and uh also everything you've done with the blister plus man helps out a lot of people so thanks, thanks for man. your time and thanks to all the listeners for giving this a go appreciate all of you awesome man we'll talk to you soon okay bye 
Well, that's it for this edition of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Garai for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. Thanks to you for listening. And I want to give a special shout out for all of you who have mobilized since our last Gear 30 episode, who have been leaving ratings and reviews of Gear 30. We are up to something like 664 ratings. We only have to get to 750. So we're like, I can't do math right now. 86 reviews away. That is nothing. Let's lock this in. Let's lock this in before I come to my senses and think, you know, I've gone my whole life without getting on a snowboard. I haven't broken my wrists. I haven't broken my tailbone. Why would you want to start that now this winter? Anyway, I'm still all in. I want to ride this winter. Let's get to 750. We will then make our blister crash course snowboard video. And I'm not going to lie. You guys make that happen. I'm going to try to get on a board like I'd say at least 10 to 12 days this winter. Uh, when we did our tele video, I only got on tele skis a couple of days. And I think the snowboard deserves more time. So let's do this. Uh, shout out to all of you who answered the call already, left us those ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts. We're going to get to 750 soon. I'm sure of it. I believe in you. And then, as Cody Townsend says, y'all get to see me break my wrists. Sick. All right, everybody, have a great weekend. And I should say, speaking of Cody, Cody and I just recorded earlier today our next Reviewing the News episode. So that is going to drop this coming Monday. It's a good one. We actually announce an entire brand new whole division of Blister. And if you've listened to this far, I'm just going to tell you what it's called. It's called Blister Cinematic. We're excited about it. It's multifaceted. Check that out on Monday in our new Reviewing the News episode. It's going to be very cool. And you all are the best. You continue to be the best. And those of you who have listened this deep to the bitter end, you, you are the real rock stars. So shout out to all of you. We will talk to you again real soon.